What's up, Disciple Makers? You're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we've got sustainable discipleship for one more track session before we move on and start working our way through the new track sessions from the most recent forum. Today's episode, Doug is going through and saying it's time to get rid of the fluff around disciple making. Sometimes we make it too complicated. We got to do this life on life thing and I got to always be full of wisdom and sharing to them. And he just says, you know what we do? We just take people literally through the Bible, like every year for three years, and then they move on to make other disciples. Really beautiful process. And we know that this is Jesus' method. So let this episode encourage you, challenge you, convict you, and move you forward. This is Doug Burrier with Sustainable Discipleship. Here we go. So welcome to Stop Signs, where we are going to talk about intentionally helping disciples get it. And, and I, we could not, it is a very intentional process. We couldn't figure out how to make this shorter. This to us in our language makes sense. We want them to get it, right? We know what that means and we don't know what that means, right? We want them to stick this, understand it, walk with it, live it, rock it, kill it, right? Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we start, does anybody have any questions? Because that's where we start. Yeah. Boy, they're noisy upstairs today. You said that you can get people excited about reading the Bible in a certain amount of time to where after three weeks, they're not going to question that again. What's that pitch look like? That looks like, uh, oh, yes. I said, Doug, I, Doug, said that I could get in like a couple weeks, anybody totally like, this is great reading the Bible, my friend, Steve wants to know, what's that look like? And so, Steve, that is what this handout is all about. So if you can, I'm going. We'll head there. Okay, good. Anybody else? Some, there was somebody. Yes, sir. You mentioned making disciples in three hours, but it seemed like Jesus made disciples 24-7. <laughs> is part of your method to do discipleship beyond the three hours? Yeah, so... Yeah, that's great. So the question was, I talk about making a disciple in three hours, but didn't Jesus do this all the time? And this, that. There are times he went away. I don't know what the exact average hours are. I love your question. So we say it really takes you three hours, your schedule, to actually do this. But you're also going to see as you read the book or go to workshop, we're going to talk about doing this along the way. So you're going to have like plenty of that interaction time. Does that make sense? But we're just talking about a lot of the three-hour disciple is pointed at people who are on staff who are trying to figure out how to fit this in their schedule. Does that make sense? And what we're saying is you have we you can find three productive hours a week. You can make disciples. You can change your church. You can change the world. Do you have three hours? That help? That, okay. Anybody else? Good. Let's do brain science. Are you ready? Uh, I'm going to get coffee. All right, let's do brain science. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> so just, just for kicks, because I've been in trouble, I think, since I got here. Somebody at a friend, new church friends in the back, they're like talking to us. And they're like, so out of all these, what basket do you fit in? Are you this or are you a ministry or that? And I just looked at them and I said, nobody can figure out what basket to put us in. 
Because it's different. It's a method. It's just a thing. We don't fit in a basket. It's just, you know what I mean? And, and so it's just, it's just the way it is. Anyway, in an effort for the last hurrah, I'm going to ask you if you like brain science, I want you to drown out what I have to speak over. Ready? All right. Unless you're not. Do you want to do this? Yeah. Okay. Who's ready to talk? It's like some crazy science guy show. Are you ready? Who wants to talk about brain science? Yay! All right, good. So I'm going to surely end up in disciple jail. <laughs> All right, you ready? So here's the... All right, let's go. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> we got some fun brothers and sisters. We weren't trying to mess with them. I didn't even know they were over there. It's, it's this up here. All right, good. All right, so let's do this. So what we're talking about is stop signs. I, I'm going to get, do we have a $100 bill? Where are they at? So far, nobody's claimed this, so I'm just giving one away. I'll give you, I mean, of course, it's ministry money, so just think about it. But, <laughs> no, you're taking it now. $100, if you haven't heard this talk, $100 to somebody who can tell me why stop signs are red. And if you don't get it right, you give me, no. <laughs> Does anybody know? Yes. Here, you can have half of it. <laughs> no, he's half right. Here. Okay, so you're half right because that's the obvious answer because it gets your attention, right? But why? It stands out in the environment. Yeah. You two need to have coffee that's very close. Yeah. It's reflective? Well, that's just the surface, though. Because you can have faded red. Been those faded red stop signs? Yeah. The town everybody forgot. <laughs> red means danger? Red means danger. You're getting really close. Oh, you're good. Limbic system, where the eyes see, and when it touches the amygdala, it sees red. Okay. So you're get, you're, he is right on brain science. He is right on brain science. Though we do see red first, that is not the real and only reason they picked red. You are dead on. Like you, you need to talk to our doctor friend here. You guys are going to be great friends. Here it is. Let me tell you why. When you were a child, at some point, you walked up to the fireplace and we're going to touch it. And your parents said, no, that's hot. You saw a red eye on a stove, which is actually orange. But nonetheless, they said, careful, that's red hot. You walked up to the radiator, you're going to touch it. They said, don't, it's hot. Again and again and again, as you approach something, because it was attractive, which is why kids go after red, by the way. That's the why they go after red. But that's not exactly why stop signs are red. And we say stop. Warning, so the people's a danger and all, you're halfway there. The point is, is that your brain does a really interesting thing. The first thing it does is it begins to associate what? Red with? Hot. The feeling of warmth. Kids are not that conceptual. 
So they see red, they see warm, you say whatever. So they're not scared of everything red. They're scared of red things that are warm. And then eventually they touch something. This becomes really reinforced. And they're at the campfire, and then there's the little uh, marshmallow poker, and it's red, hot. And again, and again, and again, we do this. So it started with a discrete truth that something was red, and this was red, and this was red, and this was red, and this was warm, and this was warm, and this was warm, and this was warm, connected to build a value system. I know this is going to stretch you, but it actually built a value system, right? Because a value is the stuff that's way behind there. And so now every time I see red and I think warm, I think what? Careful. When I touch it, now I add ouch to that. This becomes an extreme penalty marker. Are you following me? And we keep walking this pathway. It's called a neural pathway. We keep walking this pathway again and again and again. The pathway becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And so marketing people figured this out. And they made sale tags red. Why is my branding red, black, and white? Black and white says what? It's pretty clear, pretty simple. And red says what? You better do something about it. Most people don't use heavy red in their branding because they say it's an angry color. It's not an angry color. It's a color that calls you to action. You don't even realize it, but people are like, God, we love your stuff. It's because it's just like in your face. <laughs> Get it? Okay. So what in the world does this have to do with discipleship? Because this is the way you learn everything you learn. A discrete truth, a discrete truth, a discrete truth, a discrete, meaning one single truth, single truth, single truth, single truth. They're all the same, and my brain does what to them? It connects them. You need to hear this. You need to write this down. Connected truths build trust. Connected truths build trust. The more time your girl or your guy tells you something that is true and acts on it, tells you something is true and acts on it, tells you something true and acts on it, the more you what? Trust them. The person says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and it works, 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 works. It builds trust, but this just works with information too. I, you are four biblical characters. Do not take this personally. I see him, him. He goes off and sleeps with a prostitute, gets a terrible disease, and dies. I see him. He goes off and sleeps with a harlot. That's just a prostitute. No money exchanged. Gets a disease. It was cheaper. And dies. He, a prostitute walks up to me and says, want to sleep with me? And I'm like, no. Do you watch that? That's how simple this all works. That, that's it. It's simple. Now. All of a sudden, this trust is being built. They keep dying. I marry Amber. Not that Amber, my Amber. We have a beautiful relationship. Everything's going on. Bruce here is watching all this. And Bruce goes, well, he chose well. They keep dying. These two get married. Everything goes well. Bruce is watching. Bruce says what? That went pretty well. Monogamy works. They're all dead. 
we just learned another truth. Not just that promiscuity kills you, but that what? Monogamy is awesome. Are you following me? So we connect these direct truths, then we connect them indirectly. And this is the way human beings, in a very simplified form, learn everything they learn. When you approach the Bible to get people to read the Bible, what is the normal thing we tell them to do? Come on, let's just have fun. How many people are in ministry? We're going to read the Bible, do this. What do you tell them to do? Read John. Why? It's palatable. Okay, but what do we tell them to do? But I, well, John was the author, and John was a disciple of blah, 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 and on and on and on, right? We tell them to do all of this stuff. We want them to know everything about that passage. Isn't that how we set it up? That's Bible study, right? Know everything about this. How many people, honestly, know everything about anything? Right? How many people here are over 50? And you've realized... The more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. So what you do is you take a bunch of people, you want to make them disciples, followers of God. But what you actually ask them to do is become scholars of God. So I just want to ask you something. I just don't get angry at me. I want to ask you something. When Jesus criticized people, did he criticize followers or scholars? So we're building... Pharisees. Just a thought. Every successful discipleship program we've ever researched, seen, or been a part of makes followers, not scholars. Education is not equate to transformation. The Word of God is powerful to save, to heal, to deliver. Education can't do that. You've heard me say, if you've been in the sessions, too many people are shackled by shekels. Who cares what a shekel's worth? It's not going to change anything in your life. Who cares when the book was written? Who cares who wrote it? Who cares? I'm a Bible nerd. I got more Bible degrees than some of you, I'm sure. I love all that. Nerd out. But when it comes to transformation, shekels and authors and time periods do nothing. However, when you read the verse, don't sleep with donkeys, that is useful. And when you read the verse that says, surrender everything to God, that is useful. When you read the verse that says, forgive one another, that is useful. That's you. I was thinking about you. Did I offend you last time? You're good. You're just very quiet, so I couldn't tell. Are you introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Ah, I should have known it. Anyway, I'm glad I didn't offend you. I just discipled you. Did you get it? That's useful. The truth that says, and I really wasn't faking it. I do care about you. And I couldn't find it. That is useful. Give them useful, solid, simple truth. But wait, don't even do it. Just let the Holy Spirit do it. Let the Bible do it. Does that make sense? So now we connect all these things. They build trust in God, in His way. We begin to apply them. We begin to get confident because we see it play out. Then comes the time when I face a decision I don't know. And that's when that third level of learning comes, where I begin to connect this truth that doesn't look like this truth that doesn't look like this truth. Do you want to see what that looks like? Okay, so let's see what that looks like. Somebody pick a decision that is not answered in the Bible directly. Where to go on vacation? How do you decide where to go on vacation? I'm going to 
Anybody want to help? How much money do you have? That's not where I start, but it's okay. We're going to start there. How much money do you have? So his assumption is that all my vacations must be paid for in cash. Is that a biblical premise or not? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Is it not a biblical premise? Aye. All the people are scared to death that I'm tricking you. (laughs) It is not a biblical premise. There is nothing in the Bible that says I cannot borrow. I borrow all the time. Anybody owe money in a house? There's a difference between debt and liquidity. There's power in borrowing sometimes. Don't freak out. I know they tell you to pay everything off. But if you can make more money by keeping it, maybe you shouldn't. Point is, you still need to figure out what you can afford, biblically speaking. Then what? House. Where do you go? Huh? What sounds fun? Well, what sounds fun was the Dominican Republic. (laughs) What Amber and I found when we got there was that the entire beach in front of our house was nude. This this was a disruptor for me. (laughs) I'm a dude. I I didn't lust, like I didn't want them, but like I'm 15 apparently. (laughs) I was like, I'm already so much trouble. Can you get it? So I'm going to say nude beach, not. And we have scripture, right? Don't look on each other's what? Nakedness. All right. So nude beach is out. (laughs) Do you get this? So you start answering the unknowns because you're connecting all these other truths that are healthy and guide you. But what we try to do is answer the unknowns by going to research them. And then somebody writes a topical guide and then we have discipleship material. We're doing it backwards. We need the discrete truths. Just as much truth as we can get. Then we need to let the Holy Spirit use our, because the way we learn, he'll empower it, help us connect those truths. And only then are we going to be able to what? Assimilate them. Does that make sense? This is inductive learning. Inductive learning begins with exegetical learning. Inductive learning connects what? Direct truths. The inductive is just our fancy Christian Bible way of saying, you know, like neural pathway learning, the way we all learn. So what's the Bible say about the Bible, right? Gets more powerful. I can show you three truths, right? And then inductive learning, what? Makes indirect connections. Once you know the whole word of God, you're seeing it from 30,000 feet, you can look down and go, ooh, it didn't work for Israel. And you make five decisions at once, right? Pastors do this for you all the time. What are the three errors you can make? They're trying to pack it up and send it to you. But what if they could? you could just do that on autopilot? What if after the third or fourth or fifth time you've read the Bible cover to cover, Holy Spirit's got this stuff connected, you're confident, and you can just, hey, I heard somebody in our, we did a mock group out here. Thank you, Will. It was awesome. Thanks for getting me in trouble again. We even had approval. You need a signed letter next time. So, so, one of the people prayed that God would give them more discernment. I was gentle. If you were in my group and we were a couple months in, I would have said, I refuse. Have you read God's word cover to cover? No? Cool. Then just wait on that decision. You're asking him to do something he already did. He gave you a book. Let's read the book. Let's get the truth in there. You may not need oh, God to give you the spiritual gift of discernment. He might just give you information. You get it? Okay, so this is kind of the this is kind of 
the way this all works. So what you have on your handout is what? Find single truths. We did this in a mock group out there. Single truths are things like what? God, God said what? His creation was good. He blessed his creation. What else? What, just start blurting out truths. What are they? Huh? God is holy. What else? He parted the Red Sea. What else? Don't sleep with... I didn't know you all did that. I thought it was prostitutes. Okay, don't sleep with donkeys. Okay, whatever. These recordings are never, ever, ever getting published. You all know that, right? Because this only works in context. What else? Give me some truth over here. You guys know truth. Huh? He called his creation good. Let me add one. And you are his creation, which means you are? Yes, sir. He opposes the proud. What else? You see this, how simple this is? So in, in year one, all we want you to do is what? Get them to what? Get discrete truths. Year two, we want you to do what? Connect those. So every time you say, <laughs> I should have done that. I need to engineer this into workshop. Every time you say prostitute, you say death. Or whatever they say. No, but every time you go like money, I'm the, now in year two, I'm like, so where else do you see God teach about money? You talk about tithing. I go, do you remember anywhere else? And I don't care if you get verse numbers or anything. I just want to know if you can get those two truths connected. So whatever it is, I'm just trying to get you to connect it. So my inquisition isn't now just, hey, why'd you highlight it? It's, do you see it anywhere else last year? Because you read the Bible, right? And do you notice my approach? Who was it who asked me in groups if it, that was my approach? Is that person here? Maybe he's not here. They asked, is that the way you handle every group? Yes, we did a mock group, and it is just gentle, like, you're at it, is it there? No? Okay, cool. I just move on, because I know God will get you there. And then year three, you're like, you're already ready. <laughs> Flip your card. No, you're, you're David. So David comes in, he's already prepared, because he knows I'm going to ask why, he's going to go, I highlight because of this. And he knows I'm going to ask, connect it, so he's going to do what? He's going to be like, yeah, I already got these two. And then I'm going to trick him. And I go, so take it, make it bigger. What else is there? Now, what am I trying to get his brain to do? I'm trying to get his brain to what now? Connect indirect truths. Does that make sense? So, not knowing where I'm at. Huh? Oh, yeah. Can I tell you the Bible reading method before I tell you to do bigger? Because bigger is an art form. Like taking it to that third level is an art form. You ready? Okay. So here's our Bible reading method. People don't read the Bible because they fear it. Yes? People don't read the Bible because they think it's overwhelming. People don't read the Bible because they've been told it's boring. I, you know why I say told it's boring? Because less than 9% of pastors have ever read the Bible cover to cover. This is Barna, not me. Less number than that of people have read it. So how do they know it's boring if they haven't read it all? Because you... Brad, bad Brad, bad Brad decided to teach the book of Leviticus to a group of sixth graders, and they've been forever scarred. It was horrible. Or you bought that material from your Sunday school ecclesiastical department that was written by somebody who has never been in sixth grade <laughs> because school didn't exist. 
And they're trying to teach teenagers of today. And so they're writing about Leviticus, right? So, so the point is, nobody's read it. We can't always say it's boring because we haven't read it. But there's just this oppression. And then, and you add on to it, we all do Bible study, right? And Beth Moore and all these, the great people. I'm not against Bible study. Love it. We're talking about discipleship, though, not Bible study. So when, when, when we do all of that, and then we bring them in and say, we're going to read the book of Genesis, I mean, they wet themselves just a little bit. They're scared. They don't think they can understand it. They don't even know if you can understand it. It seems oppressive. So I'm going to tell you three weeks. You ready? This is it. Tell them to pick a version of the Bible they can read. I don't care if you're an ESV man, NASB person. I don't care if you're a King James. If you're King James only, just let me remind you that King James was not really a model character. Don't care what you read. Let them read something they can understand. Billy Graham, while he was alive, used the New Century Version, almost bulletproof version of a contemporary Bible. Most people don't even know about it. It's an incredible book. Simple to read. The New Living Translation. I wouldn't teach theology out of it, but it's great. Do you know what I use when I read cover to cover? Oh, shame on me. You're all going to leave. The Living Bible, written by a dad to his kids. Did you all know that? The Living Bible is not a translation. It is a paraphrase that is, was written by a dad, this is where it started, who was on the road and was trying to teach kid Bible and could not get King James through the telephone. Then we did the NLT, which is exactly almost like the Living Bible, but it's a translation, so people will read it. If they can read the message, fine. It doesn't really work into subtleship because it is so street-level hard. It doesn't match up with anything else that's going on. Get them to get a Bible that they can read. Give, you should have recommendations. You should not be scared of Bible versions. I own a Bible tech company, if you didn't know that. And I will tell you the margin of error between every printed translation of the Bible in every language, not just in English, is what? Less than 1%. But just relax. I can tell you what the big errors are in every one of them. Because that's what I did for a while. But it's just not that big a deal because the Spirit's big. And you're in the room. Okay. Get them to get a Bible they can read that they can, in a language they can understand. Get them to get a highlighter. Let them pick the color. Don't bring them. Let them get it. Send them home and say, hey, so here's where we're going to read this week. This is your daily reading schedule. The reading schedule for 48 weeks in week one is Genesis 1 to 24. That is a very scary number. But if you tell me I have to read Genesis 1 to 3 on Monday, I can do that. And don't expect it to be blind. I love you version. Tell me what I got to do. Set an expectation. It takes maybe 15, 20 minutes to read each day a couple of chapters. Have them take the highlighter. As they're reading, have them highlight. This is your one. Have them highlight. Anything that makes them go, hey, we call them ahas, or that make them go, huh? That's it. And they will go nuts. Want to know why? Number one, you've just set the expectation. You don't realize it, but brain science, you have set the expectation that they will find something. You've set them free because you told them 
You didn't tell them, but what you didn't tell them is important. You didn't tell them to figure out who wrote it, when it happened, to Google it. No study Bibles, no Google, no Chrome, no nothing. Just read it. And whatever hops off the page, highlight it, move on. Should I write notes? No. Just highlight it, move on. I mean, no, I, not anymore. I read on my own. But I've done this so much. So my wife, who's incredible disciple maker, every book, every book, she reads along with them all the time. I'm like, you're just awesome. I read on my own schedule nowadays. I've just done this. So does that make sense? So whatever your flavor is. At the beginning, you got to track with them because, okay. but you're not ever going to teach them. You just want the Holy Spirit to be talking to you too, right? So he can talk to you and to them about what they're eating. But, the, but you just want to highlight it. What you've done is you've, you've pulled off all the pressure. There's no performance. There's no amount of highlights that are good or bad. You've pulled off the pressure of being a Bible scholar. They don't have to understand anything. They just have to what? They all like to color. <laughs> you just have to highlight something that jumps off the page. The worst thing that's going to happen is some people will show up and go, nothing jumped off the page. That's okay. It'll happen. Trust me. Thousands of people have done this before you. It'll happen. You're good. All you just cheer, everybody heard the song, you know, think I found myself a cheerleader. Just play that for them and be that. Just, you got this. It's no worry. And talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And go, did you pray before you did this? Like next time, just ask God, God, show me one thing. What you're doing is you're stripping off everything that we've done to make it oppressive. And what will happen is this. I promise you, if you trust God and you lead them well, they will highlight something. And when they come in and you go, dude, that's cool, because it will be cool. You do that for a couple weeks, they will approach the book of Leviticus. They won't even think Leviticus is boring. They're going to be like, okay, God, let me see you show me something. Because you've taught them to expect that a holy God who gave us a living word actually wants to use it in their lives. And it will happen, I promise you. And when they start highlighting stuff, you will watch their prayer requests line up with what's highlighted because Holy Spirit knows their heart. And he will start teaching them. We talked about individual last time. I can't go back there. He'll start teaching you about your problem with harlots, you about your problem with prostitutes, you about your marriage that's going so well. But he will, he because he will curate. Instead of us curating or buying guides or this is the 18 things that everybody needs to know in the first year, we'll just let the Holy Spirit deal with David where David's at. And it works. I promise you, it works. And they get hooked. And, and, and you, all you do is you play that coaching. Well, that's not really a truth, right? But you'll get it next time. And you just move quickly. If there's eight people in the group, what's your highlight? Who has the next highlight? They'll figure it out. Always go in sequence. If two people highlight the same thing for the same reason, only cover it once. Everybody talks about their highlights. It becomes like, how many people found Waldo? People love that. Set them free. Take all the pressure off and let them just encounter God's word the way he meant for it to be encountered. He would use it to create life in them. Does that resonate? Yes, sir. The largest group that I've led, 13. Yeah, have you heard my, I want to lead, I want to beta test a group. Anybody wants to volunteer at church? I know how we're going to get there and back, but we will. But um, I want to beta test 40 and I want to beta test 100. We want to do a little data, a little research because we got a world to win. It may fail, but it may not. Jesus did 12 and he lost one. Jesus did 12. <laughs> Misnomer. 
Jesus did not disciple 12 people. Jesus discipled 12, 70, 120, thousands, back to 12, 70, 120, thousands, back to 120 at the end. Don't, just because they're the apostles, do not. There were a lot of people he discipled, and a lot of people walked away. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. People get to choose. Right, any other questions while we're here? Yeah. Okay. So in year two, what's year two? In year two, in year two, what we want them to begin making that connection, correct? We want them to be making that connection. Tim is helping prompt us. In the first year, they're taught, right? It's just they're getting truth. In the second year, we're trying to get them to learn to learn. So we're trying to get them to connect truths and learn to consume the word of God on their own. So as they, as they come in, I'm going to say, hey, is it Andrea or Andrea? Andrea. Andrea. So you highlighted what? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's awesome. Do you, is there any other place that Jesus displayed that kind of emotion? On the cross? Yeah. That's beautiful. On the cross, he said, forgive them. They. Where else? Is there any other place that Jesus showed that kind of emotion? He looked over Jerusalem. That's awesome. Can you tell him digging the garden? That's awesome. That's a direct connection. Wept, wept, wept. I'm not going to go, hey. I mean, I'll tell you, I want you direct truths. But I'm just going to keep digging. At the beginning, this is the way you're going to do it because you're going to have to like kind of prime the pump a little bit. Within a couple of months, they'll be doing it on their own. By the end of the year, they're going to be rock stars because they'll now have read the Bible two times consecutively. That means they're double better than any seminary student. Isn't that crazy? So, so with that second year, you tell them just read and highlight. The oh, same yeah. Thing. So, you no, you don't highlight different color highlighter. Same Bible, if you can. Same Bible, different color highlighter. And what you're highlighting in the next year, what you're highlighting is things that you find interesting. I know. What's the difference between aha and interesting? Interesting means now you're intentionally looking. It's a little twist. Aha is it slaps me in the face. In year two, I'm trying to get you to maybe look deeper. So you're still going to highlight anything that makes you go, dude. But I really want you to begin to highlight things that seem interesting to you. Does that make sense? And, and then you're going to come in. And that little, those little twists, and then I'm going to ask you to connect. Okay, so now you want to know about year three, right? Okay, so year three, what you're going to highlight in year three is whatever you want, pretty much. And we, I forget how we describe it in the book because I always forget because it, it's just the wording changes. Year three, everybody's all in, this and that. But in year three, I want you going through the Bible looking for anything that you just go like, oh, truth, oh, truth, oh, truth. But when you come in, I'm going to expect you to have already done what? Made a few connections and gone bigger or be ready to because in those first three months all I'm going to do you're in my group you're in you're in my three group though my three groups hate me because I just go like this I don't know give me a verse you know and I go give me a verse somebody give me a truth let's just do a live one give me a truth throw out a truth any truth huh gee that doesn't ever say that in the bible though like it doesn't like okay huh okay we go back to Jesus wept all right, so we go to Jesus wept. We go to Jesus wept, and we know that he wept over Jerusalem, and we know that he wept in the garden. So I'm going to go make that bigger. Can you make that bigger, Bruce? 
You're my friend. Can I pick on you? You sure can. Can you make that bigger? Yeah, powerful emotions. Yeah? Oh, okay. Good try. Sorry. I'm going to do that. In Discipleship 3, we've already, you've, you've had plenty of, we, we're all going to be laughing, right? Sure. Okay. Oh, went to Lazarus' tombs. I don't know what you mean by make it bigger, but to make it. I'm going to get you there. To yeah. make it bigger for me would mean that he, he, he cries, he's hurt when people do, when he's sad for people. So in my life, he's sad when I, if I'm applying it to myself. That would be a great, it would be a great way to apply it to yourself. That's bigger, bigger. Let's just go bigger. Bigger is that Jesus had emotions. Right? Bigger is that, and you're going to, in the first couple of months, you're going to have to, bigger is that he had emotions. Take it in steps, right? What was yours? Yeah. So we're created like him, emotions, which means that maybe, he created emotions in us. Do you see this thing expanding? Gee, I don't have a whiteboard here, but do you realize this is how you work? Does anybody familiar with mind mapping? It's the way you think. Everything's connected in an outward spiral and it sometimes folds back. You're always connecting the dots. I've already shown you this, how you learn. Well, this is also how you go bigger. So bigger now, do you see what bigger just did? Introduce all kinds of truths. My emotions are a gift from God. He, Jesus, had emotions. Nobody nailed this one yet. He was human, 100% human, 100% God, oh, bigger. We just found four truths from Jesus wept other than the classic sermon, right? So when they do this, they become powerful because it's not so much what we learned out of Jesus wept. It's we learned how to learn and how to go bigger. And your next one was, and when I apply that to myself, he would be such an awesome disciple. When I apply that to myself, would you say? He cares when I hurt. Make it bigger. You can do it. Everybody cheer on. Oh, I don't know what it is. Yeah. He cares about everyone's hurt. Remember that pathway? Do we have the pathway? We don't have the slide. The pathway, the end of it is, it's not about me. It's about them. Do you see the power of that? Now when I'm reading the Bible, you go, well, that's just whatever. But what happens is now, as they read the Bible, their brain starts firing what? Because we're teaching them to go bigger, to learn, to learn, and conceptually. And God's Word with the Spirit and the way He designed our brains becomes super powerful because now I'm not just reading Jesus wept. After a year of this, guess what they're doing? Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. Jesus, whoo, two or three milliseconds. And they're standing up in your worship service. Sorry. They're standing up in your worship service and they are praising the God who loves us. Do you see? That is bigger. And that's the way our brain is. Why do you feel such powerful emotions when you think about your dog that passed away? Because you spent a lot of time with your dog and your dog generally liked you. And it's just a loss and a miss. And all that's built on what? It's actually bigger. Do you get that? Because you and your dog really can't communicate. I know. I have dog. Whatever. But a bunch of little instances build that relationship. You get it? So this is the way we learn. It's the way we... So now all of a sudden, I don't have to teach you. All I have to do is leverage the way God designed your brain to learn and his word and let you learn. But I have to take a long game approach because we're undoing years of entrenched Bible study, performance-based, scary Bible stuff. 
Why do we create so many resources of other men's and women's opinions about the Bible to give our disciples? Be because we don't think they can understand the Bible? So I'm already defeated before I start? How about if we just let God do the arguing? Let God do the connecting. And I promise you, within a couple weeks, they'll be like, they'll start expecting to find something, which is a very biblical expectation. Shall I say a few? You want to go with me? Seek me and you will. Knock and the. Your word is a. Paul, the word of God is powerful to save. You want me to just keep going? I just keep going. I keep going and keep going and keep going. So why are we distributing our words? Teaching our way. Trying to make people like us. I really struggle with the idea of people going, well, we're supposed to be role models, character models to the people we disciple. No. There's nowhere in the Bible. Oh, yeah, there is. Because Paul said, as you see me do it, do it. I'm not sure that's the point he was making, really, theologically. I think he was making an argument to people who weren't doing it. I'm not sure it was meant to be the entire approach. Because I'm not, you're never going to be, if we're going to do discipleship, David. So we're going to conform you to my image. That's dangerous. I want to conform you to God's image. And the only way you can do that is, yes, sir. Yeah, so we want him to imitate God. We want him to imitate the character of those who succeeded and to avoid the character of those who failed. Let all that historical example, cover to cover, build those truths. Slept with prostitute, didn't work out. Slept with prostitute, didn't work out, right? That, that is modeling too, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. You need to live this stuff. You can't take someplace, someplace you're not going. So if you're, listen, the most disastrous thing to do, and I'll tell you, this will happen. You start a discipleship group, you paint a big giant target on your back. We tell everybody this, and the enemy is going to come after you. Because if he takes you down, he disables whoever's in that group. You watch it. Some woman shows up, has an affair. Her group finds out about it. She lied about it. You just, you just got years of recovery work. So yes, we need to live it. But I don't need to live it to model it to you. There's a much better model. I, the reason I need to live it it's because I need to be a disciple. I need to live it because I'm a follower. If I'm not a follower, I shouldn't be making them. I need to live it so I can have a great relationship with God and be a, you're just full and abundant life. I need to live it for me. I need to share it with you. But I need to model him and only him. Does that, does that make sense? So it is. They will see it. Uh, outside reading. Uh and, and there's like a list of 50 books. There's like a list of 70 books. Okay, so <laughs> how much time are they spending, you know, between outside reading and reading the Bible? What, what's, their, what's the requirement you're putting on them per week? Or per uh, well, we would never say it was a requirement because that would be really bad marketing. Um, so we, we basically it's this. Oh, yes. What's the requirement concerning outside reading and the Bible reading? Though this is more on how we learn and learning and leveraging this learning, getting to understand the Bible. We also do outside reading because we've learned along this 14-step pathway. There's certain places where we can inject certain topical truths that protect and build and accelerate. So those outside books take, uh, we're going to say about 20 minutes a day tops reading the Bible and then I don't know, hour or two a week reading other stuff. 
So you're, you're talking about, I mean, they're going to put four or five, six hours in. And, and do, do you discuss that? Is that part of your, your time? Discussing outside of meeting? No, not really. Of course, you know I'm evil, so I don't tell them anything they don't ask. I just go, hey, you want to spend a year together? Your world's going to rock at the end. But if they ask, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to lie to them, right? And so if they, they ask, I'll go. It's going to be a couple hours of reading Bible, a couple hours of reading this book. You got it. But don't lie. You're in Columbia, so the outside reading's out. So just a couple hours of reading the Bible. We got this. Because you do got it. Thousands of people have done this before. It's really easy. Okay, questions? Does any of this make sense? Not. I see a hook. Oh, hey. You're curious how this method... Making disciples is the number one thing that we do. So, okay, I'll tell you us. I'll tell you us. Us is not going to apply to a lot of you. We have a very unique model of being 150 to 200, and when we get beyond that, sending people out. Okay, so that's just us. But we use, uh, we outsource count all counseling. We outsource all recovery. We outsource all that. So if it comes up in discipleship, we care, but we go, hey, go do that. I'm telling you, fundamentally, what we do is discipleship. We, it has killed every other program, not in a mean way. It's just, what? So we have, uh, we have like this giant small group that meets once a week, which is like uh, anybody who's new, they're making friends, this and that. The discipleship groups meet once a week, so they're all doing their thing. We have a worship team ministry. It's run like a discipleship group add-on or a life group. We have a children's ministry thing. But by the time they get done doing discipleship, and you're like, but it ends after three years. Yeah, but then they go make disciples. So like, it just goes on. And you should see it when they can't find somebody to make a disciple. They get cranky. So we do mission trips, but guess what? We use our mission trips to take our disciples on, and we have a strategic plan to take them deeper with God because they're outside their norm. But we don't do a whole lot other than discipleship and worship and hanging out together and stuff. It's like, what about women's ministry? Uh, they're all in discipleship. They're all connected. They're all growing. And then like Sylvia and my wife. Was it this Friday, some Friday? They, they're like, let's just get all the ladies and go to the lake. That's what, see, well-made disciples just live it. You don't have to create a program from the plug-in. My wife, a couple other people, more mature leaders, are like, we got to get these new girls out. So they're all going paddle boarding, hanging out at the lake and cooking. Zero structure because guess what? People who are well-made disciples love to make disciples. We don't have a prayer network. Want to know why? Because everybody's in discipleship. We have a little online thing. You can throw it out there. We'll all pile in, but it doesn't happen a lot because everybody's connected because everybody's being made or making. Is that making sense? So it's not that we don't like any of that. It's just we just really don't have time for it. Yeah. The success rate is not. The question is that the is the success rate tied to the outside reading? I can't answer that. That needs to get written down. I don't know how to test this because I don't want to break something just to break it. But nobody's ever not done the outside reading except in countries where that doesn't make sense. And so it hasn't broke it there. But you can't compare. That's comparing apples and oranges. I have no idea. If you want to try it, we'll track it. And the worst that can happen is, you know, you become 92% effective. The Bible's the core, guys. The Bible's the core. I doubt that anything terrible is going to happen. I think the Bible's the core. 
They may slow down on some particular growth points. This is not the same. We've pulled out. Uh, these are like disruptive presentations we give to try to get people to shake them up and think about, like, what are we doing? What do we want to do? We have another one that's called, how many disciples do you want to make? How many people can answer that? How many disciples do you want to make this year? I mean, I know how much money I want to save. How much, how many, so until you set a target, you'll never reach it. So pick it. You want to make 12? 12. Let's plug in. I'll show you to make 12. So we have one like that. It's just disruptive. Instead of asking how many are you making, let me ask you how many you want to make. Like, what's your plan for this year? And how are you going to execute that plan? You talk about intention. I love this conference. I love Bobby Harrington. I love these people. And I love this year's topic. Intentionality. How many do you intend to make? That's a great. So this is one of, these are like, they, these truths all come out of the book. The workshop is meant, the workshop does a lot of cool stuff. And the first third of it, it does this concept that really gives you the Bible. Right now, you're accepting a lot of what I'm saying because I'm here in front of you with the red screen. But in the first part, we build the entire biblical foundation for how God makes disciples, how you make disciples, what a disciple is. And you say, that's a redo. It's not. I'm telling you, it's a real quick thing. Then we show you how you can make disciples. And we cover in detail, what's your role? How do you, so it's, it's this deep dive. And you walk away with a workbook and a chant. So somebody said to me, how are we going to do this? You give me two and a half days of your life, and I promise you, you can hit 90, no matter where you're at. Promise you. You have two and a half days of your life, I promise you. It'll, it'll never be the same. And it's not, we didn't do anything. I'm just telling you, like, data defends this. And when the data fails, we'll be honest. Last year, we were saying 95, 95. This year, it's 90. We broke a few things. We're trying to fix them. All right, so we generally only coach people who are implementing because what we do is we come alongside their disciple leaders and we have a, we know, we, we know because we've done this, what's going to happen in week one, six, five, four, three, two, you know what I mean? So we, we know what's going to happen. So we meet with them weekly for like six weeks at the beginning of, of the year. Then we meet with them every two weeks. Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. Then we, I think it's after a couple of months, we go to once a month. So we as this team of Waldos, the people who've done this enough that they can, he is the best coach on the planet. So what happens a lot of time, because I'm busy doing this, is I'll do the first couple with people and then him. We have, we have really no staff, no volunteers. Uh, I, we have a team of six people who are geniuses who all heard from God. They came to one creative meeting and then they said, can we stay around? That became the team. And then this has become, you know, and, and experiencing God, Blackaby says, when you watch your church and see what's going on, you see God moving. Our entire church is behind us now. They're, they're raising money. They're praying. How can I help? They're, it's insane. So this is totally grassroots. I need an IT person. Totally grassroots um, who's going to volunteer. And so, but, but we will not let you down. And if we have to, we'll tell you. All right, so you, you talk about being data-driven. You have your uh, uh, definition of success. How does that get measured that, that these people are doing the right thing for the right reasons? It's 157, and the final session is in. All right. No, I want to be respectful. You understand, we, we went to a meeting with all these guys who were speaking and leading, and i got to be honest with you, I'm dwarfed. I came out of the meeting and I told Jamie, just give me, I need to use these last two minutes for me. I want you to get where we're coming from. And I said, I am dwarfed. These are giants. These people have been doing this stuff and they have great ministries. 
And I know that we don't fit in here because we're not running a program. We're not trying to sell anything. We're not, we, God just told us to infect the world with this method that works. And we surrendered ourselves, and that's what we're doing. These people, God, it's all in ministries. Have you checked these ladies out? Incredible stuff. Mercy right up here, dwarfed by them. Harrington, the amount of research he's done, his heart, dwarfed. Gary and all the work he just put this together. So I have to be honest with you. I, I, I love these people to death. Incredible stuff. And I walk out every time going, why are we here? So I want to respect them. And, and so we're going to end so you can get to the big session. That question that you asked, which is the actual how do we measure it, the Red Book will talk some about that. That question is one we're going to answer in writing. I got Let me just tell you a couple things. If you did that, I got questions, or you got a free book, or you bought something, they got your email address. If you paid for something, there probably was a box where you gave them permission for us to follow up with you. If you did that little form where it was just, I have a question, or you did the form where it was like, hey, I got a free book, you're going to get an email because we are so committed not to spamming if you don't press the button, I want to know more on that email, you'll never hear from us again. So if, when you, you need to answer that email. We'll follow up with this one. and what, Maybe I'll do a video and we'll attach it or something. So it's a great question. The question was, how do we actually measure or observe that, correct? Yeah. Now, you go to the big session. It's a big final one. You guys have a great time. Um, okay, ready? Father, thank you so much. Bless the main stage speakers. Amen. Amen. Hey. Was this worth it? Was it? Is it useful? That was amazing stuff from Doug and Sustainable Discipleship. I hope that you got a lot out of that. You know, I feel like I'm somebody who I'm the host of the show, but I'm just like you. I'm the everyday disciple maker. I've got people that I'm discipling in a small group setting and in the large group settings. And sometimes as I'm listening through these episodes, I'm like, man, I was doing this stuff wrong. You know, I was making it more complicated in my mind than it should be. Um, taking people through scripture, that's the way to do it. It's beautiful. All right, up next, we are diving into the new track sessions from this most recent National Disciple Making Forum. So if you haven't hit the subscribe button already, please do so. And you'll stay up to date for when I release those new episodes. All right, y'all, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.